0: Now we'll read first, please, in the book of Daniel in chapter 9. The book of Daniel, chapter 9. verse 1 of the chapter, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God. These early verses inform us, should we study the dates, that this was 66 years after Daniel had been brought from uh, Jerusalem to Babylon So the time of the captivity, which he had learned by reading in Jeremiah 28, the period of captivity of 70 years was nearly at an end. He's 66 years into it, and as he discovers that, he said, I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes, and I prayed unto the Lord my God, and made my confession, and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him, and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned. Verse 8 O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. Verse 11. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing that they may not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. Verse 15. And now, O Lord our God, that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and has gotten thee renown, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. The rest of the prayer is going to be a supplication for mercy, and we're going to look at that in a moment. But it's very striking to see that this dear man of God, of whom scarcely anything, if anything, is recorded against him in Scripture. This man of God, as he reads the word of God, he's been reading in Jeremiah, he's been reading in Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy will inform him as part of that curse that if the nation failed to obey God, he would deliver them into the hands of other nations. And indeed, of course, that's what had happened. And Daniel's inquiring into the mind of God. He knows that Israel is the people of God. And now 66 long years have passed since he was brought as a young man down to Babylon. There were two further uh, tranches of exportation, deportation of Jews from uh, from Judah down to Babylon. And uh, he can see that the majority of the people now have settled. Ezekiel had told them to do so. As he went down and ministered to them, he said, now this is no blip. This isn't just a temporary arrangement. And they were actually exhorted to settle down and build their homes, and they did. And now generations are coming up that have never seen Jerusalem. They don't even speak the language. They're Babylonian through and through. And this dear man is still searching the Scriptures. And I've no doubt... As he's about to receive from God this tremendous vision concerning what we know about as Daniel's 70th week. We're not going to be dealing with that in detail, so don't tremble too much. But as he's looking, he's, he's fitting into scriptural context the conditions that he's in. He would doubtless have known that from the time that the nation of Israel was installed in Canaan, when they got their identity, when they were settled, when the warfare was finished, they hadn't made a complete end of it, of course. They hadn't put out all the nations they should have done. But nevertheless, from the time that Israel was settled until the time that they demanded, in the days of Samuel, a monarchy, was 490 years. And from the days of the monarchy, which God never intended for them, it was Israel was intended to be a theocracy, the rule of God alone. But like the nations, they wanted a king. Eventually God said to Samuel, we'll give them a king. They'll regret it. And of course they did. And from the installation of that monarchy until the final removal of uh, Judah from Jerusalem, was 490 years. Daniel is about to learn of another 490 years. So there's a pattern here. He's discovered it from Scripture, from reading the book, and it's helping him put his condition and the condition of the nation into biblical context. The number 490, we're not left really to wonder about it because uh, he would have read in the end of the book of Chronicles. And one of the reasons for the captivity of Judah uh, into Babylon and one of the reasons for the length of 70 years was the fact that from the time God put them into the land he had said to his people now one of the things I'm going to do for you is just as I've given you a Sabbath day you are going to give the land a Sabbath rest. But it's not going to be one day in seven. It's going to be one year in seven. It's going to be a Sabbath year. (coughs) And uh, you're going to remember through this that though I have put you in the land, you're stewards of it. It's not yours. It's mine. It still is, by the way. And God says, I've put you in there as stewards. And as stewards, you will look after the land... And you will see that just as I give you your rest, you will give the land its rest. Now he said, you needn't worry as to what you do for food because in the sixth year you will have such a bumper harvest. It will not only satisfy you as normal, but it will see you through that seventh year and into the eighth year when you start to till the land again. It was the most remarkable and generous of promises. They never did it. They didn't do it. Would you have done it? Said, of course we would. Of course we would have done that. There's farmers among you. And you said, of course we would have done that. Really? We've received far greater promises from God. Have we entered into those? Are we living in the good of those? It does seem remarkable that they never ever put God to the test. They never ever proved their God in that way. They never ever gave the land its Sabbaths. And eventually, at the end of 490 years, God said, I told you to give the land its rest. And you haven't done it. And you haven't done it for 490 years. So if you won't give the land its Sabbaths, I will. The land is owed 70 Sabbath years. Seven into 490, you can all do that. The land, the land is owed 70 years of rest. And God says, I'll see that it gets it. And the land will get its rest by me taking you out of it. And that's why the nation was 70 years in exile. Daniel learned all this. And as he's learning this, God is about to give him a vision of another 490 years. Now, that number's interesting in itself, isn't it? Because remember Peter said to the Lord Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother? Until seven times? The Lord said, no, until 70 times seven. 490. So it it seems that that number would suggest the limit of divine patience. That there is a limit to divine patience, and eventually it's exhausted, and God moves in judgment. So there is a tremendous precision as you go back into the Old Testament scriptures and see God's dealings with this land. And Daniel, 66 years into that 70-year period, has been searching the scriptures. He's discovered it's going to be 70 years. And he then prays this remarkable prayer that in a very busy and full book takes up the most of chapter 9. We paused in the reading because four or five times over, Daniel does what godly men do. Though unreproachable himself, he took a stand with a nation that was wrong in heart before God. And you noticed in the selected verses we read, We have sinned. We have sinned. We have sinned. Nehemiah did that. Godly men still do that. Not accusatory. Not they have sinned. I've done my best, but these people have sinned. There's a sense of collective responsibility. We have sinned. He's praying on behalf of the nation. The vast majority of them don't care to pray for themselves. But he's praying on behalf of the nation. Do we? It would be arguable as to whether your great nation or the one that I am part of, it would be arguable as to which of us is in the bigger mess. What do we do about it? Do we pray, brethren? I know that neither of our nations enjoys the favored status that Israel did. I appreciate that. But God has appointed the nations. He's appointed the bounds of our habitations. He does tell us to pray for kings and all who are in authority. Do you as assemblies, do you as individuals, give yourselves to prayer? It's easy to bat about the political ideas and to be on this side or that side. But we should take the the biblical view. And pray for these men and women who are in authority. It's good to pray that God will save them. For it's only through knowing God's salvation that they will have any idea, really, of how any authority they have has been directly delegated from heaven. It's clear from their actions they don't know that. It's clear from their actions they don't believe that. They believe that you, the people, installed them there. But you know you didn't. Not only because you don't vote. But because the scripture says God put them there. Do you believe that? It's a principle through scripture that God gives nations the leadership they deserve. And that should be a humbling thought for us. Daniel prayed on behalf of a nation. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. We have sinned. We have sinned. By the way, he's praying that because he sees the outcome of things. He sees that what God had planned and intended for the nation is not being fulfilled. And so there's confession and there's sorrow of heart. Let's move from the political to the spiritual. I have yet in all my years of assembly experience I have yet to be asked to participate in a meeting called by concerned overseers where they say to the assembly we've been a long time now without seeing a soul saved. The baptistry is full of spiders and dust. And it's clear that a lot of the saints aren't really in the fullness of the joy of salvation. Brethren, sisters, we'll be meeting. And we'll be meeting to humble ourselves before God. And we'll confess sin. And we'll confess that we're not what we should be. And we're not what God intends us to be. And we'll seek as God gives us help to humble ourselves in his presence. I've yet to be in a meeting like that. Does that say something about the pride of our hearts? The great temptation, particularly when we, we, we just don't see, generally, at least in some countries, we don't see the outcome of the effort in the gospel. And we become very adept at putting the blame on the sinner. Conditions are awful today. People aren't interested. People don't want to know. They just neglect the gospel. My brother, my sister, they always have. That condition has never changed. The gospel has always been an offense to the ungodly man. No, what has changed is us. We have changed. And I'm not suggesting that it would be some kind of formula. All go away and have a meeting on Monday and pretend to repent. No, that's not the thought. It has to be genuine. It has to come from the heart, doesn't it? It has to come from a real burden. A man who looked into the scriptures because he wanted to see where did he, Daniel, and where did the nation he was a part of and loved, where did it all fit into the great grand scheme of divine purpose? And realizing that God had great things on the horizon for this nation, that it wasn't always going to be in captivity, that it was going to be delivered, that things would be restored, he prayed to that end. But it began with confession. Oh God, we have sinned. And as he sought the mercy of God, in verse number 16, he says, Oh Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate, for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes, and behold our desolations, and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And whilst I was speaking and praying. So this great dramatic prayer was interrupted by the appearance of the angel, Gabriel, who is about to give him this tremendous vision concerning the so-called 70 weeks can you see that the burden of this man's heart as he prays verse 16 thy city jerusalem verse 17 thy sanctuary that is desolate verse 19 thy people are called by thy name thy city thy sanctuary thy people What's he praying for? Ultimately, he's praying that God would glorify Himself. Do you remember how Moses was similar when the people had sinned and made that golden calf, and God said, "Just stand out of the way, Moses. I'll I'll I'll, I'll destroy them. I'll make a, I'll make, I'll make a new nation from you. You can be the head of a nation." And Moses said, "No, no, no. That can't be possible." It's amazing how these men, on biblical record spoke about these things with God. And Moses said, that can't be possible. Because if you were to destroy this nation, then the heathen would mock. They would say, Ah, that God was strong enough to bring them out of Egypt, but he couldn't sustain them. Oh no, oh God, for the glory of thy name. Ah, if we would learn to pray like that then. Oh God, for the glory of thy name. And he's got this burden, the city, the sanctuary, the people. After these great revelations that came to him in chapters 9, 10, 11, in chapter 12, once again the angel comes to visit Daniel and to speak with him. Daniel, go thy way. You will take your rest and you will stand in your lot at the end of the days. The angel was saying to him, Daniel, soon you're going to die. You're going to take your rest. But don't be concerned, Daniel, because though you're going to go into death, you will stand in your inheritance at the end of the days. There is resurrection to look forward to. And in case you're wondering when these Old Testament saints will be raised, there's no doubt from Daniel 12, it will be at the end of the days. What days Daniel might have said? Well, the very days you've just been prophesying about. The days particularly of Israel's tribulation. At the end of those days, then there will be the resurrection of those who died in faith in Old Testament times, and Daniel will take his place among them. But the great thing is this. The prayer of chapter 9, is going to be answered at the same time. It's not been answered yet. Thy city. Thy sanctuary. Thy people. Daniel's desire for them has not been answered yet. But it will be. And that man will be raised to see that prayer of chapter 9 fulfilled. And a little word comes in that is very... Interesting to study. Because concerning thy city, Jerusalem, I want you to turn with me, please, to uh, Luke's Gospel and uh, to chapter 21. Luke's Gospel, chapter 21. Lord has been speaking since verse 6 about the city, and uh, he says, and the temple of it, and he says in verse 20, when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries enter thereinto. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. There's our little word, until. Until. Daniel had searched the scriptures to see how that the conditions of his day were the fulfillment of scripture. And I appreciate that all in this audience today will firmly believe the inerrancy and the fullness of the word of God. But it's wonderful to see as well that future events are firmly grounded in things that are past. And the God who brought them to fulfillment in the past will unerringly bring them to fulfillment in the future as well. Jerusalem is trodden down of the Gentiles. Do you pray for the peace of Jerusalem? The scripture exhorts us to do so. But do so knowing this, that God has set a time for Jerusalem to be trodden down of the Gentile nations. And that period began at the point where Nebuchadnezzar, raised up of God as the head of the Babylonian Empire, where Nebuchadnezzar sacked Jerusalem and the temple and everything in it And took the people of Judah into captivity. See we might have thought that Judah would have learned from the fate of Israel. The northern ten nations uh, uh, after the uh, ten tribes. After the nation had divided after the reign of Solomon. And the northern kingdom had been taken uh, 150 years before into captivity by the Assyrians. For their idolatry. For their wickedness. And yet they didn't seem to learn that in Judah. And it seemed one of the reasons was this. We've got Jerusalem. We've got the temple. God isn't going to allow his temple to be overrun by Gentiles. And if there's a particular pride, it seems that God hates more than another. It's spiritual pride. Whether it's in the nation or us. And they said, we've got the, we've got the temple. That, that assures... Our continuance. And they didn't know their God. God said, I would sooner that that temple was pulled down and destroyed by Gentiles than it was profaned by my own people and my name made a mockery amongst them. God said, I'll not have it. Still does, by the way. God has not changed. He would sooner have the Gentiles destroy it. Gold, beyond our imagination. Silver, all the precious things. Precious to men. I speak carefully and reverently, there were nothing to God. The glory had already departed. But not only was the temple destroyed, but when Judah was taken into captivity, a transfer was made in the government of this world. Up until that point, Israel had been the head of the nations. God had always intended them to be a mediatorial nation. When he took them out of Egypt, he said, my intention is that they will be for me a kingdom of priests. It was intended that they would represent divine things to the nations of men, and they would lead the Gentiles to a knowledge of their God, And instead, they adopted the ways of the Gentiles and often ways that disgusted the Gentiles. And eventually God said, I'm going to remove you from that favored position. You will no longer be at the head of the nations. The Gentiles will now be dominant. And this period of time that the Lord called the times of the Gentiles, that's when it began. And we're living in it now. Where world affairs are dominated by Gentile nations. And Daniel prayed for the city. Thy city. He knew of the scriptures that spoke of the glory of Jerusalem and of Zion. Really the thought of Zion is how how Jerusalem uh, and the center of the earth should be in the eyes of God and the eyes of men. Daniel knew Jerusalem was sacked and destroyed and burned. He prayed that the city would one day come back to, to former glories. Well, it hasn't happened yet. And it's not going to happen while you and I are here. It's only after we've been taken to heaven at the rapture, only after the tribulation period has brought that proud nation to its knees, And when that tribulation period comes to an end and the Lord Jesus descends in power and great glory from an open heaven, Daniel will be raised from the dead. And Daniel's prayer will be answered. But until then, until then, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. We as believers look at the world scene, we look at the world stage, and you maybe wonder how things are all going to pan out. Never let that take your eye off the coming of the Lord to the air for his people. But as we look at these things, and as we see the, uh, the arrangements that God is making at the moment, preparatory to the events that will take place after the rapture, we realize that the coming of the Lord is very near. But though Israel makes proud boasts about its capital, I'm sure that you as a nation having recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, that will be seen kindly in the eyes of God. For any who look kindly upon his people, God looks kindly upon them. But remember this, Jerusalem will continue to be trodden down of the Gentiles. But only until, only until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. For not only was all the past under the direct rule and hand of God, but so is all that is to come. And the precision with which Daniel could fix things in his day, that precise hand has never moved from the tiller of human progress and human history. And so as we look at the world stage and we wonder how things will pan out in the Middle East, we know this, that Jerusalem will be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. We'll look further at Daniel's prayer perhaps this afternoon, if the Lord will, and trust that God will bless his word.